Now, if we open our Bibles, and if you received a church Bible uh, when you came in, uh, we are turning to page 1128 uh, in the church Bible. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 1. The Bible uh, falls into two parts. The Old Testament, in which there are 39 books, Uh, And they all speak about the Christ who would come down from God to be the saviour of the world. In the second half of the Bible, there are 27 books and they speak about the Christ who has come down from heaven to be the saviour of the world. So, the Bible hinges around Christ looking forward in the Old Testament, the Christ who would come, looking back in the New Testament to the Christ who did come 2,000 years ago uh, as Jesus uh, born to Mary. So, we're reading now Romans chapter 1, page 1128. And this book is called Romans because it was written to the church in the city of Rome, Christians in Rome. Uh, And Paul is writing here about the gospel, about the good news that he has discovered and these people have discovered in Jesus Christ as their saviour. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel God promised beforehand Through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. That's in the Old Testament. Regarding his son. Who as to his human nature. Was a descendant of David. Born into the family of David. And who through the spirit of holiness. Was declared with power to be the son of God. By his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake we received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being talked about all over the world. God whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of a son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. Paul wants to visit these Christians at Rome. I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong 
That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been kept from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. I am bound both to Greeks and non-Greeks, or I am committed both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed or made known. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, we might say from beginning to end. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Amen. Well, if you open your Bible again, please, at page uh, 1128. Uh, And tonight... Uh, This is our monthly guest service, and we want to think together about the verses numbered 16 and 17. So it's page 1128, Romans chapter 1, and then if you find uh, verse 16 and 17, where we read these words, I am not ashamed of the gospel. We might put it like this, I am not ashamed of Jesus Christ and his message. Because it, the gospel, and he is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed that is by faith from faith, from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Unashamed of the gospel. Let me ask you a question as we begin. What things cause you shame or to be ashamed in life? There are times, aren't aren't there, when we feel ashamed at family or friends. They do something. They say something that is very different from what we think or what we do, and we feel ashamed. Sometimes we feel ashamed of ourselves when we behave badly. Someone has said something to us that is wrong, and instead of passing over it, we respond and we react and we lose our temper uh, and we say things that we shouldn't have said, uh, and afterwards we have a real sense of shame. I said those things, I did that. 
experiences that happen to us can cause us to be ashamed. Something embarrassing. Something that um, um, we uh, felt awkward about. There are experiences in life that people pass through uh, that can cause them to be ashamed. Think, for example, of the person who's made unemployed. And they have a sense of feeling ashamed that they can't provide for their family. They can't work. Well, tonight we're thinking about the gospel. We're thinking about the news that Jesus is the saviour of sinners and the only saviour of sinners. And the question that we're asking and thinking about is, are we ashamed of Jesus and his message? I want us to see that there are four reasons why Christians, those who who believe in Jesus as their saviour, should not be ashamed of him. And there are four reasons, these same four reasons, why anyone here this evening who's not a Christian, you should not be ashamed of Jesus. Unashamed of the gospel. Why? And on the rear side of the order of service, you will see the four reasons printed. First of all, because of its unique origin. If you want a simpler Because the gospel has come from God. Where did the gospel, where did this good news, where did Jesus himself come from? Unlike other religions, the gospel is not a human invention. Paul says at the very beginning of chapter 1, it is the gospel of God. The gospel began with God. The good news that there is a saviour. The news that we need a saviour. And Jesus coming as the saviour. That all began with God. And this has been around. This good news has been around since the beginning of the world. It's at the heart of the Old Testament. It's what Abraham believed. It's what David believed. All those great figures of the Old Testament. It's what Ruth believed and Esther believed. Those men and women that we read of in the Old Testament. They heard the good news of Jesus. And they believed it. So the gospel is Jesus Christ. The gospel is the gospel of God. Now every other religion in the world is the invention of a man. That's the difference between Christianity and every other religion in the world. Christianity is from God. It's the gospel of God. God has revealed it, Paul tells us here, and made it known. God sent Jesus from heaven. But every other religion in the world is the invention of man. The Jewish religion, as it is practiced today, is now the invention of man. Because it rejected Jesus 2,000 years ago 
that is coming. Islam was the invention of a man called Muhammad, who lived 600 years after Jesus. Buddhism was the invention of Siddhartha Gautamana, who lived in India. And he lived about 500 years before the birth of Jesus. See, all those religions, Judaism and Islam and Buddhism, and there are many others, but those are the major other, world, or, uh, other religions of the world. They're all from man, not from God. And so you and I are not to um, consider those other religions uh, as the way of salvation. Because if they come from man, and man is the problem, they're not going to be able to deal with the problem that is in man, the problem of sin. The gospel of Jesus Christ, on the other hand, is the climax and fulfilment of God's saving actions among humanity since the beginning of the world. Why do you not need to be ashamed of the gospel, fellow Christian? Why do you not need to be ashamed of the gospel if you're here tonight as a non-Christian? Because it is the only religion that is from God. It's unique in its origin. It's not a human idea. It's not a human philosophy or invention. It is, as Paul says, God's unique or special revelation. But then a second reason. Why should we be unashamed of the gospel? Because of its universal relevance. Or if you want it simpler, because it is relevant to every last person on the earth. Sometimes people for a living end up being a salesman or a saleswoman. And uh, sometimes it's not because they really want to. They would like to do something else, but there are not job opportunities there. And so they end up selling a particular product. And they know in their heart of hearts that this product <laughs> is not going to appeal to everyone. It's not going to be needed by everyone. And yet they've got to go out there and try and Create in the individualist sense, you need this. Well, you see, we never have that problem with the gospel. Because the good news of Jesus is of relevance to every single person that has lived, lives at this moment, or ever will live. It is something that every last person needs to hear and to receive and believe. Now, why can I say that? Well, if the gospel is of God, and if the gospel has been around since the beginning of the world, and was revealed to the first man and the first woman after they sinned, then the gospel is for all men because humanity all people are descended from Adam 
and Eve. All races, all nations, all classes, all colours, all types, male and female, young and old, rich and poor, whether you live in the East, the West, or the Northern Hemisphere, or the Southern Hemisphere. All people are descended from Adam. And if it was revealed to Adam in his sin, then it is for all people. Paul puts it this way in our text, when he says in our verse, verse 16 and 17, um, for the Jew, at the end of verse 16, the fourth, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. For the Jew first, then for the Gentile. Now what does Paul mean by that? Well, if you'd have been living in Paul's day, and sometimes uh, there were only two religious groups. Sometimes when I talk to people today uh, who have no church background, they say to me, but there's so many different churches. And there's so many different religions today. Well, if you'd have been living in Paul's day, um, there were two large religious groups, and there still actually are only two large religious groups. That day you were either a Jew or you were a Gentile. Now the Jews, they were the privileged people because God had been speaking to them from the very uh, earliest period. They worshipped the Creator God. They were waiting for the Christ. The Gentiles, on the other hand, that lumped together all those who worshipped other gods. The Roman gods, the Greek gods, the Egyptian gods, and the other gods that humans imagined to replace the living God. And you see, that's still the great division today. If Christianity has come down from heaven and is of God and is the truth, and we've got all of these other religions, then there's only two groups. There's Christians, the Christian faith, and there are those who do not believe and who are worshipping other gods, and in a sense they're like the Gentiles here. And so Paul says the gospel, this good news about Jesus, and this Jesus who has come down from heaven, he's for the Jew. He's for the Jew. Those who have been waiting and praying for the Christ to come for centuries. And it is for the Gentiles. It's for those who have been seeking God, but worshipping false gods instead of the true God. Gods that they've imagined and invented. So that's why the gospel of Jesus Christ is of universal relevance. It's of importance to every single person. Now if you tonight had a cure for cancer, you tonight had discovered an injection that would prevent the development of cancer. Who would you offer it to? Who would you give it to? Which of us would be going to the doctor tomorrow looking for it? I imagine all of us. All of us. Because it's the great disease, it's the great problem in the human, uh, human well-being today is cancer. And we are all liable 
We're told that we're all, to one degree or another, carriers of it, and we're all liable to have it develop and to kill us. You see, a cure for cancer would be of universal relevance. The gospel, the cure for human sin, is of universal relevance because we're all carriers of sin. And sin develops in us and from us and through us in our lives, during our lives. And we wouldn't be ashamed of a cure for cancer. Should we be ashamed to seek a cure for sin? Should you as a Christian be ashamed to tell others about the cure for sin? Should you as a non-Christian feel ashamed and not really want to tell your friends that you have been to church tonight uh, and that you have been, you're seeking God and thinking about these things? Of course you shouldn't be ashamed because this is of relevance to your friends and your family, your neighbours, everyone unashamed of the gospel because it's come down from God because it's relevant to everyone but then Paul asks that and he talks about it's life giving power or we might say it's saving power this Jesus who has come down from heaven and the life he's lived and the death he's died for others it has saving power Paul says puts it like this when you look at verse 16 again I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Now the word power is a very interesting word there. You've heard of dynamite. Dynamite. Say something's dynamite. Blow your mind. Uh, Blows things apart. Well that's the word for power here. Uh, It's a Greek word that Paul uses. And it's the word from which we get our English word dynamite. And dynamite is an explosive. Um, As a boy, um, we used to, and my family used to cut turf out in the mountain. And of course, when you've got a mountain, there's always a place to quarry. And I remember that there have been times when the roads would have been closed at a particular time of the day because they had drilled holes in the mountain face and they were going to quarry. And what they did was they placed then sticks of explosives down in these holes. And then we were been working away at the turf. And you'd heard this huge bang. And you looked across and saw the smoke going up in the air. And that's because the dynamite or the explosives had blown the rock apart. And broken it up so that it could be quarried. And you see this is precisely... What God does in Jesus Christ, when the explosive of the gospel, when the good news of Jesus, when the person of Jesus comes to your heart, your life, my life, what does he do? He blows apart the sin that has been had such power and such a hold on our lives. And he delivers us from the penalty of that sin so that we don't come under God's wrath. And this dynamite of the gospel, this person, Jesus Christ, is powerful enough to dislodge sin and to overcome sin in us. And you see, religion is not powerful enough to do that. 
Morality is not powerful enough to do that. Reading the Bible is not powerful enough to do that. Simply going to church will not help you that tomorrow to dislodge the sin that uh, arises within you. When somebody annoys you and you're tempted and you're, you, you bite the head of them in an outburst of anger. Yes, that's our sin. And being at church tonight, that'll not help you. Reading the Bible, that'll not keep you from that. Saying your prayers, as some people would put it, will not help you with that. It's not powerful enough. But you see, Jesus Christ, he is powerful enough to break that grip of sin on our lives. And so, we need him. We need this dynamite uh, to, as it were, break up the presence of sin and the power of sin in our lives. Otherwise, if we're depending on morality or going to church or reading the Bible, you know what it's like? It'd be like somebody in that, in that quarry, in that mountain where I, uh, that I knew as a boy, and they're just sitting there with a wee hammer and a wee chisel. And they're trying to break up the rock face with a wee small claw hammer. And it's just, it's pointless. It's useless. All that they're getting off is little chips. And yes, you, by your own efforts, you might be able to knock little chips off your sin. But you'll never deal with the underlying problem of sin. And so the gospel, why are we unashamed of it? Because it has life-changing power. And it is for everyone. Again, notice how Paul says, it's not just for a few. It's for everyone who believes. Everyone who will receive this Christ will know that he will have this life-changing effect in them. And then finally, and very briefly, we're unashamed of the gospel because it provides us with something that we need that we don't have. We have sin, which we've talked about already. And we don't need it. And the gospel removes that sin and cancels that sin. But then there's something we don't have that we do need. And what's that? Well, it's righteousness. It's the opposite of sin. It's righteousness. It's where we are seen to be holy by God. Where we're seen to be acceptable by God. And uh, God is holy and God is righteous. And when Adam sinned, the whole human race that came from him over the centuries and through to the end of time lost its holiness before God. But here, what does the gospel do? What does this Jesus Christ do who has come down from heaven, who is the gospel? Look at verse 17. In the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. We're given a righteousness by Christ. So if God now looks upon me and he says, I accept that man. I accept that woman. Let me try and illustrate it as we close in this way. Imagine a child dressed up 
and you're a parent, you've, you've been in this situation, in spanking new clothes. You're familiar with that word, spanking new clothes. And the child goes outside to play. And you know what's going to come. Later, the child returns, covered in dirt from head to toe. They've gone, they've played, the grass where it's been wet, and they've run, and they've slipped. And we have a memory of one of our children doing this uh, when we were on an outing one day, and we just could see the feet going from underneath them, and we could see the mess. Uh, and it was a mess. Well, what does a parent do when that happens? Well, the parent first removes the dirty clothes. And what happens then? Do you leave the child standing there? Naked? No, you don't. You put clean clothes on. And you see in the gospel, Jesus takes away the dirt of our sin, like the dirty clothes. And he removes that on the basis that he died on the cross to pay that penalty. And then he doesn't leave us standing there naked before God. No, now he puts clothes, he clothes us with his righteousness. The sin that he did not commit, the perfect life he lived, he gives us that. So he takes our sin, our dirty clothes upon himself, and his clean life, his clean clothes, he puts on us. So that when God looks at us, Though Harry Coulter has been a liar and a sinner from the moment he was conceived. God doesn't see me any longer as Harry Coulter the sinner. He now sees me as Harry Coulter saved in Christ. And Jesus Christ never lied. And it's as if Harry Coulter never lied. And Jesus Christ never um, coveted. And it's as if Harry Coulter never coveted. And Jesus Christ never broke the Sabbath day. And it's as if High Coulter never broke the Sabbath day. Because you see, now we're clothed. I'm, I'm given this righteousness. The, the, it's, like, it's like a suit that was put on us. And it's Jesus. So, this righteousness is not something, the suit of righteousness is not something you can earn or purchase. You can't go to the shop and buy it. We receive it, how? By faith alone. So you don't need to be ashamed of the gospel. Because look at what it does. Jesus Christ, he takes away all the wrong that I've done. It's cancelled, it's forgiven, it's forgotten. And then he dresses me up in his own righteousness. And he presents me to God. And he says to his father, receive this man, receive this woman. And you see, faith, what's faith doing? What is faith and what's repentance? It's where you and I allow the Lord Jesus to come. And as it were, to take off the dirty clothes. To take off the sin. And to be the dynamite in our lives. Dealing with the sin. But then we are allowing him also to put on and to give to us his righteousness. And notice that this is the gospel. This is the good news of which we do not need to be ashamed. And it's the good news for everyone who believes. Do you have a sense of being sinful and dirty tonight? Then the Lord Jesus 
is the one who can take it away and make you clean and clothe you. And he'll do that as you call upon him and trust in him and say, Jesus, make me clean and give me your righteousness, having taken away my sin. Amen. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this wonderful good news. We thank you for Jesus who has come down from heaven. We thank you for the life that he lived that was without sin. The death that he died that was for the sins of others. We thank you that he comes to us tonight and he stands before us. And he says, your sins, I can take them away, just in the same way as a parent takes the dirty clothes of the child that has fallen in the mud. And we thank you that tonight Jesus stands before us and he says, and I will put on you clean clothes. I will put on you my righteous life. The life I lived that was without sin. And you will be acceptable to my Father in heaven on that basis. Lord God, help us not to reject Jesus, not to turn away from him, but rather to receive him. Just in the same way as a child allows its parents to take off its dirty clothes and to put on uh, nice clean clothes. Help us, each one, to yield our hearts and lives to your Son and to be unashamed of him and of his gospel. In Jesus' name, Amen.